As Joseph said, our scripture is from Romans 1. We'll be reading verses 18 through 23. So Romans 1, 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. We do want to welcome you here once again. Um, Not once again that you're coming here, but we want to welcome once again you. And especially if you're joining us on YouTube, we we appreciate you uh, making that effort uh, to do that. We do appreciate you, whether you're watching live or you're watching a recording of this. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, and we will be looking at that verse in just a few moments. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at verse 12 in just a moment. You see on the screen that the title of the sermon is called Tug of War. Tug of War is an interesting game that we've, most of us have all played in growing up and even possibly after we grew up. And getting ready for the sermon, I found it interesting that the game of tug of war was an Olympic sport from 1900 to 1920. An Olympic sport. Eight people on a team, eight men on a team, pulling with all their might, hoping to get that flag across the line that they're trying to get it over. An Olympic sport. As I was getting ready for the sermon also, I found that there is a great big tug of war that happens every year in Satsuma Sandai Sandai City in Japan. It is a huge tug of war involving about 3,000 people pulling, 3,000 men. They're pulling on a 365 meter rope. It weighs more than seven tons. And people come from all across that country to attend this event. This event has been going on for 420 years. 420 years. It's believed to be among the the oldest and the largest tug of war in Japan. And interesting enough to me, is that a is that a national sport? But from the early morning, people start getting ready. They start making this rope out of thousands and thousands of other ropes. And then in the evening, 15 Hundred men on each side of the contest. They put either red or white headbands on, depending on the side that they want to pull on. And there are men up on that rope on each team. And the goal is to pull and pull, obviously, for tug of war. But also one of the goals is to knock those men off on the other team, off of that rope. It's a great struggle, mighty struggle. I just can't imagine the the pressure, the weight that is put on that rope. But the greatest and most important spiritual tug of war that we will encounter 
It is a contest and it is spiritual and it's highly important. It is imperative that we win this contest. And it is between man and it is between the forces of evil. Man and the forces of evil. Ephesians 6.12, you're already there. We read these words, for our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. So what is it? Well, against the rulers, against the powers, against the, the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. There's a struggle going on, and we are participants. Apostle Paul described the struggle with sin as a war within him in, in Romans 7, 23. And we'll get to there in just a little bit, a war within him. He says, I see in my members another law waging war, waging war. So we're going to, this morning, just consider some aspects of this spiritual tug of war. We're going we're to answer some questions. We're, we're constantly struggling to win this contest. We're going to be working out of Romans chapter 1. We've already read from there. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 32. We're not going to read all of that, but I'm going to come back to that several times throughout this lesson. So Romans chapter 1, verses 17 through 32. And if you're there, we're going to, we're going to answer some questions about the spiritual tug of war that we all experience on a regular basis. So the first question, why does this contest take place? Why does this contest, why in the world would we be embroiled in this contest? Well, because good and evil exist. We can't get away from that. We can't deny that good and evil exist. How do we know that? We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, to the garden where Adam and Eve are, and they have a meal. And that meal is something that they shouldn't have partook of. They have a meal that is coming from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2.17. And they're not supposed to do that. But once they consume, they realize there are good things and there are not so good things. And that is passed on to their children. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. And, and Cain chooses evil because they know the difference between right and wrong. The difference between good and evil in Genesis 4.8. He chooses evil and kills his brother. But there are two sides to choose from. There is, in verse 17 of Romans chapter 1, if you're looking at that, the gospel introduces us, Paul says, to the righteousness of God. To the righteousness of God. And that's one side. And then another choice is verse 18 of chapter 1. The gospel also introduces us to the unrighteousness of sinning man. And we've got to choose between those two sides. We're going to have to make a decision as to which direction we're going to go in life. The righteousness of God will be enjoyed, encountered, experienced by those who win the spiritual tug-of-war contest. The wrath of God 
is to be dreaded. The terrorizing wrath of God is to be dreaded by the losers of the spiritual contest. That's why it takes place. There's good and evil. Good and evil exist. Where does this contest take place? We gather some information from three verses that we look at. That when God gave them up. God gave them up and God gave them over. Where does the contest take place? In our hearts. Romans 1.24 God gave them up to uncleanness. The lusts of their hearts. The lust of their hearts. Wanting something with all of our hearts that we shouldn't have. Wanting something that, that is forbidden for us to have, but wanting it so badly with all our hearts. Another one, Romans 1.26, in our flesh for this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to vile, you might have the word dishonorable, passions. Not just wanting things that we shouldn't have, but wanting people and relationships and, and sexual relationships and that we should not be partaking of. Unnatural relationships to, in our flesh, in our hearts, in our flesh, and then in our minds. Romans 1, 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debase. Interesting word there. It means depraved. Well, you can say God gave them up to a messed, messed up mind where they're not thinking correctly. In our minds, that spiritual tug of war takes place. And if we lose this contest, God has to give us up. And put those three things together. Our hearts, our flesh, and our minds. And you have a recipe for disaster if we stop pulling. If we let Satan pull us in the wrong direction. And I'll talk about that in just a few moments. That's where the contest takes place. In our, in our, in our hearts, and our flesh, and in our minds. That is the playing field of this not so... Uh, not a game that we're, that we're in the middle of. When does this contest take place? When does it? When we recognize God's goodness and when we recognize our unrighteousness, when we recognize that God is perfect and righteous and wonderful and we are not, we are the opposite. When we recognize that God's goodness is is a wonderful, perfect thing when we know and understand that there is a difference between the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of the sinner, when we realize that we might, as sinners, that we are on the wrong side, when we realize that we are all Guilty of unrighteousness, Romans 3.23. When we realize that as sinners we're on the wrong side of God's laws. 1 John 3.4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. When we realize that as sinners we're on the wrong side of the law. That's when it takes place. As soon as we recognize that God is good, perfect, and we are absolutely not. So what does this contest look like? How does this contest take place? 
over in Romans 7, and I would encourage you to get there. We're going to look at verses 15 through 25. I'll be jumping around in this little section of Scripture. But Paul paints a picture of a struggle, struggles that he personally has. And I remember so many years ago as a new Christian reading this section of Scripture and realizing I'm not alone in this struggle. I'm not alone in my weaknesses. And in 15, he says, I don't understand my own actions. How often have we thought that? I'm not doing what I want to do. I do the very thing I hate. You jump down to 18. "I I know that nothing good dwells in me. Nothing good is in me. And he's not beating himself up. He's stating a fact. He says, that is in my flesh. I have the desire to do what's right. I want to do that so badly, but I don't have the ability to carry it out, to get it done. 19, I I don't do the good that I want to. I do the evil that I know I shouldn't, that I don't want to. 20, now if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. 21, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And then he says, oh, I delight. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. It's there, and I love it, and I want to obey it. But, 23, I see in my members, I see in my, I see in my life another law, and it's waging war against the law of my, what, of my mind, we've already talked about, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells where? In my, in my members. And then he makes a sad statement about himself just declares with an exclamation mark, wretched man that I am. And we know what the right way is. But there are times when we allow ourselves to be pulled in the absolute wrong, absolutely wrong way. We regret it. We beat ourselves up over it. We want to change it. But how does this take place? Metaphorically speaking, we're, we're, we're in a tug of war. And, and there are ropes involved. Metaphorically speaking, ropes are laid out by, whom? by Satan. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, in Matthew 4, 3, Satan comes to him. But he's referred to as what? As the tempter. Thessalonians 3, 5, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, Paul says he's worried about the members of his brothers and sisters. And he says, he says, I'm worried about you encountering the tempter and the tempter taking you away. Well, how does Satan work? Well, he lays these ropes down and they are various temptations which would lure us into snares. Satan wants us, wants us to pick up those ropes. And those are personal temptations. 
Those ropes are the things that we personally struggle with. And he wants to exploit our weaknesses. James 1.14. Notice these words. Each person is tempted when he is lured. When those ropes are put down in front of them. And enticed by a desire in the flesh, in the heart, and in the mind. And they want that so badly. And they're thinking about that so much. And they're longing for it. And then 15, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Death to who? whom? Death for the person who has picked up the ropes and has decided that they're not going to let go of those ropes. Death comes to those people. And in our lives, and this is true. Satan is laying down those ropes and they are personal temptations. And he wants us not to just pick up one, but he wants us to pick up as many as entices us. And once we pick them up, oh, it's going to be so hard to let go. What are your ropes? What ropes do you struggle with? We go back to uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 29 through 31. And, and even before that, there are some ropes that we'll struggle with, with, with uh, sexual immorality. But think about this. What are some of the ropes? Do you recognize some of these ropes? Are you tempted in 29 with covetousness or greed? Oh, that rope is laid down and, and it says uh, to you, you, you need more. You don't have enough. You want to have more. That's a temptation for some people. Malice. Just, just the rope that says just for this moment, for a few seconds of your life, do bad things. Do bad things. That's a temptation. Is that one of your ropes? Envy. Looking around, those people have their lives all together. And why don't I? I wish I could have their lives. I wish I could have what they have. I wish I didn't have this life and living this life. I just envy them so much. Now, we might not be guilty of physical murder, but we know that hating our brothers and sisters is murder. Strife. Causing problems. Deceit. Deceit. This is an interesting concept. Deceiving who? Deceiving people around us. Deceiving yourself. Not being real. Not admitting to your weaknesses. Deceit. Slanderers. Gossips. I have this information. This rope is laid down. right? There, and I just want to pick that rope up and tell people what I know about, what, about other people. Slanders, I, I want to pick that rope up and talk badly about other people. I, I want to do that. And it's a temptation. And once I start, you know it's hard to stop. Haughty, it's all about me. 
What a temptation. I want to focus on me. I want to, and I am the most important person around. What a temptation. It, it's all about me. Look at my, the pictures of, of myself. That I, look, at the, look at the things that I want people to know about. And then the next thing is, is boastful. Disobedience to parents. That's interesting to me. Young people laid down that rope. Oh, my parents don't know what they're talking about. My parents are, are the most unintelligent people I know. They want me to do this, but I'm not going to do it because it's, a, it's just not the, the thing that I want to do. Your ropes, what are they? Do you recognize any of these? And what, what's tempting you? This might be a silly illustration. But... When I was in third grade, we lived in Brownsville, down in Brownsville. And around Christmas time, we went to a military base. It may have been the naval base. I don't know. We were in, a, in an airplane hangar. I don't know if that makes sense. But there was a Christmas party festival going on. And all the kids in the, in the community were invited. And we went. And we saw some pretty neat things. But one of the things that got my attention as a third grader was the pinata. And that pinata was made in the form of a snowman with a top hat. And those kids started, when we got in a big circle, and there were a lot of kids, and the kids started with their blindfolds trying to hit that pinata, and finally it broke open, and this candy went all over the floor, and then they lowered the snowman, and all I was interested wasn't the candy. The head was bashed in and obliterated, but I wanted the top hat so badly. I just wanted the top. I wanted to take it home. I don't even know if I wanted to wear it, but that was what I wanted. Forget the candy. And so I rushed over there. I dove for it. Another boy decided that he wanted it as well. And so we were wrestling over it. What I didn't understand, it wasn't being crushed. It was made out of some hard material, plywood. I don't know what it was made out of, but it wasn't bending. It wasn't giving in. And there was a cable or a rope attached to it with a hook. And that hat wasn't going anywhere with me or the other kid. But I saw that hat. And I wanted that hat. I couldn't think about anything else but that hat. My mom finally came and dragged me off and I went into a corner of that airplane hangar and I cried my eyes out because I didn't get it. And I know that might be a silly illustration, but isn't that how Satan works? That's trivial, but this is serious. Satan dangles those ropes in front of us. And those temptations are all that we can think about. Those temptations are all, when we see them, that's what we dwell on. And those temptations, are we want them with all of our hearts, with all of our bodies. And with our beings. And so he grab, we grab it. And at that moment, you pick that rope up. And at that moment, he has you. He's got you. You're his. But hopefully you understand right from wrong and hopefully you don't want to be on the wrong side. And so you start pulling. We're going to talk about how the contest ends. How does this contest end? Two, two ways. It can only go two ways. 
You're only going to experience, look at 18 of Romans 1. The gospel has exposed, has made manifest, it has shown God's wrath. That's one of the only ways that it's going to end. And the other is experiencing God's reward. When we allow ourselves to be pulled towards Satan, when, when, when we refuse to let go, God and, and refuse to pull any, God will let go of us. We will experience the terror of the wrath of God. It's not just, oh, I'm in trouble. It's I will die for eternity. That's serious. That's as serious as you can get. That's one way that it can end. It can also end, hopefully so, for you and me with God's reward. We drop the ropes, so talk about that in a second, strive toward God, and we will receive the victor's crown. Roman, Revelation 2.10, be faithful unto death. I will give you the crown of life when? When you have made it to heaven. Why? Because you, you won. You won the contest. So how do we win this contest? How do we win the contest? Romans 12, 1 and 2. We, here's how we win. We let go of the ropes. Simple. And yet so hard to do. We let go of the ropes. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by a, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside and let go every weight, every sin which so easily ensnares us. Those temptations that are laid down by Satan, they're not hard to get. They're not, they're not out of your reach easily ensnares us and let us drop them and run with endurance the race that is set before us not looking at those ropes anymore but looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God and that is our goal and that is our destination we drop the ropes and we move toward God and we will be rewarded we'll be rewarded turn away from the tempter Turn away, draw near to God. The closer we get to God, the farther away we are from Satan. James 4, 7, and 8. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Lay yourself down at God's feet. Resist the devil. Resist him. But don't join in that game that he wants to play with you. Resist him. Resist that temptation. Draw near to God, and he will what? Draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded, those who are struggling mentally, struggling with this idea of not wanting to let go. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Getting ready for the sermon once again. I was reading a few articles 
about the dangers of tug of war. Now, you wouldn't think that there were dangers. Maybe, maybe rope burns on your hands, but you wouldn't think that there were incredibly uh, scary dangers. But you have to think about a rope and the elasticity of, of a rope that is not made correctly. When you have tug of war, there is a federation of tug of war. I don't know what it's called, but, but there are stipulations and guidelines for the right kind of rope that doesn't stretch, the thickness of the rope so it won't break, but there have been accidents because so many people were pulling on a rope that wasn't made to be pulled on. Taipei. I think it was 1976. A large group of people were pulling on a rope that shouldn't have been pulled on. The rope snapped. People lost their lives because of being crushed. Two men lost their arms when that rope snapped. There were dignitaries watching this, this contest and they were hurt. A few people lost eyes. It's a scary thing when you're playing tug of war and it breaks, that, that bond breaks. But here's the point that I want to make with talking about the dangers. When we decide to succumb to the pull of temptation and, and, and we decide to not follow the ways of righteousness, but we decide to go ahead, pick up the rope and move towards Satan, we need to understand that the, that, that the bond that we have with God is snapped. And when that happens, people will be hurt. Lives will be destroyed and damaged and lives will be lost. We end this sermon with this admonition. Let go of the rope and move toward God. Let go of the ropes. If you're here and you've been holding on to ropes that you, those temptations that Satan has laid before you, you've reached down, you've taken those ropes, and you've had a hard time letting go of those temptations, don't let it turn to sin. Let go of them and come back to God if you're a Christian. Come back to Christ. If you're entangled in sin and you understand that because you're not part of the body of Christ, you're in danger of, of eternal death, that's a problem that you've got to solve as soon as possible. I encourage you, challenge you to think about that. I challenge you to act on that if you know what you need to do in order to become a Christian and have your sins forgiven. By being baptized into Christ based on your belief that Jesus is the Son of God. Based on your willingness to repent of your sins and go a different direction. Let go of the rope and move toward God. Based on your willingness to confess Christ before man and then be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Right behind me, under, behind the screen, is a baptistry. I was talking to someone the other day and they didn't realize that. There's water be behind there. And if you understand that you need to be baptized and want to be baptized, there's water right behind me, and we'll do that whenever you're ready. If you, if you are ready in any way to respond, I challenge you to do that as we stand and as we sing.